Good morning, church. I'm glad that you joined us this morning to uh, dig into God's word, to hear from God's word, and to be encouraged and to be blessed by his word. It is my delight and privilege to open God's word and share God's word with you this morning. I shared about a month ago that uh, in this season, one good Bible passage that you and I uh, want to, ought to memorize and inscribe in, 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 his, in our hearts is Romans 8, 28. How many of you actually did memorize? I'm asking you, yes. Um, I tried it with my family, and uh, I actually made a motion for my daughter, my seven-year-old daughter, so let me do this for you. For we know, for we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And my daughter, most likely, if she's watching, doing the motion with me and reciting with me, proud of you. We know that in all things, good, bad, and ugly, God works all things together for good, for good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And the question that we may be asking is, what is the good that God is purposing for us? And a lot of times we tend to memorize just that verse 28 without going in or continuing on with the next verse, which really explains what the goal or the purpose, the destiny of God's people, God's good purpose is for God's people. And that is verse 29. For whom he knew, or for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Uh, children's Bible version, NIRV, says this. A, in a simpler way, God planned that those who had, cho- had been chosen or those whom he had chosen would become like his son, Jesus. So put, putting those two verses together, God works together for all things, for the good of those, and the good that he is purposing is to conform us to the image of his son. Basically, God's good purpose and plan for you and me is for us to be transformed into the image of Jesus Christ from one degree of glory to the next. That is God's good plan for you and me as ones who are called by God justified by God. We are to be sanctified by God into the glorification with God, to become like Jesus more and more through ups and downs of life. We desire more than what we desire. God desires a deep transformation, not a shallow change or a temporary switch or adjustment, but a deep change. One of our life group leaders shared with me and other leaders last Sunday as we were uh, meeting uh, online 
that his prayer request in this season is a permanent change for his own life, his family, and his group members. And I said amen to that. Not a temporary adjustment. And then after the season's over, we go back to the way things were. No, he, he desires a permanent change. And I desire, and God's desire is that there will be a genuine and deep transformation, especially in this season. And as an individual, as a family, as a church, we pray that God will bring about a deep transformation. When we look at the life of Joseph, and today is... The last day, uh, or last Sunday, to, um, to enjoy the sermon series on the life of Joseph. You look at the life of Joseph, and we come to recognize how he models for us a deep transformation. Uh, what does a life that is being impressed by God's truth uh, transform so deep permanently by God's grace look like, and you look at Joseph, a beautiful life. Joseph's story is more than a, a man who had a dream and achieved his dream. He was a man who was a dreamer to begin with, but becomes a sage and a saint. He was an immature sinner who becomes a mature believer, a mature follower of God. And we know that Joseph went through a school of suffering. And through that school of suffering, he was sanctified. He went through so much trial. And through those trials, he came out transformed. He went through a long season of self-isolation and came out as a changed man. And, and, and he stayed as a changed man because his transformation was permanent and deep. And if we can come out of this season of crisis and self-isolation with such deep transformation, that will be awesome. That will bring so much glory to God, so much joy to me and you. And now, we know that the transformation cannot be manufactured. It's, it's not like, you know, we, we go through a program, five-step program or 12-step program. Those things can help. But for a deep, permanent transformation, it must be the work of God. It must be the work of the Holy Spirit. It's a supernatural work of God. So the most we could do is to seek God's face and pray to God and come with an open heart. The most we could do is to see whether we've changed in any way, to examine ourselves, to see whether our transformation is shallow or deep, genuine or not so genuine. So today, the question is not how to be transformed, but what are the marks of a genuine, deep transformation? How do we know whether our change or transformation is deep and authentic. And from today's passage, we see at least three marks of an authentic, deep transformation. I actually had eight, and then I reduced it to six, and then to four. For those of you who look at the outline, you will see six. Uh, to life group leaders, I sent four. And this morning, I changed to three because I realized less is more, especially given our live stream service. So this is my attempt to cut everything down to three. And for those of you who want to 
engage in the scripture more and to go deeper and to find out what those other three points were or the other points were, other marks were, I would love to have you join me after the service at 11 o'clock. Uh, we are starting a fellowship hall live lounge via Zoom. Uh, you can um, go to our website and click and then enter into the, the Zoom live lounge and I'll be there to engage more in this conversation about uh, the marks of deep transformation. But the first mark out of three that I'll be sharing in my message this morning is this, forgiven, forgiven. And the question that we want to ask as we examine our own hearts, whether uh, we have been or I have been authentically and deeply transformed is this, have I experienced a complete forgiveness from God in Christ? Have I really experienced not just partial forgiveness, but complete forgiveness by God through Christ. Let's read verse 16 and 17 again. We see Joseph's brothers sending a messenger to tell Joseph this. Your father Jacob, when he was alive, gave this command before he died. Say to Joseph, your brother, please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you. And then the brothers come and say, now please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father. For those of you who've been following the sermon series or have read through the story of Joseph in Genesis, we, we know that they repented and Joseph forgave and there was a beautiful reconciliation pictured in Genesis 45. They're hugging, they're crying, and they're is this beautiful reconciliation between the brothers. Almost 17 years, two decades have passed. And we assume, we think, after that beautiful reconciliation, they lived happily ever after. Not really. We come to the end of Genesis, after the funeral of their father, their heart, the brother's heart, was not filled with sadness. More than sadness, they were filled with fear. Fear of revenge. Fear of retaliation. Fear of Joseph paying them back for what they did years ago. They're struggling with the sense of guilt Fear of being revenged by Joseph. Again, Joseph, you look at Joseph, we'll come to Joseph, a man who shows a deep transformation. Brothers were transformed, but they're an example of a shallow transformation. Joseph did not hint at them. Joseph's forgiveness was complete and genuine. Joseph weeps. When brothers come and ask for forgiveness, for I don't know how many times they ask for forgiveness for the same thing. Though Joseph forgave them, the brothers struggled with guilt in their conscience. And in one sense, they were living through the consequence of their sin. Proverbs 28, one says, the wicked flees when no one pursues, but the righteous are bold as a lion. 
If we sin, if we live in sin, if we continue to sin, we will not be able to shake off the sense of guilt and shame. They were living as cowards without any confidence. And if you look at the horizontal relationship between people, it's understandable. The wrong that you do cannot be erased easily. Forgiveness is not easy, even though Joseph did, and we'll come to that. And even being forgiven, because God gave us this conscience. It doesn't easily go away. It's understandable. But when it comes to the vertical relationship, it's a bit different. Radically different. I mean, the vertical relationship would have a, a trickling effect to the horizontal relationship, as we'll see. But for now, let's focus on the vertical relationship. Relationship with God. Have you ever felt that I'm being punished for things I did wrong years ago, even though I repented? You don't feel completely forgiven. You live under the sense of guilt and shame, and it still haunts you. It still weakens your soul. There's a sense of gap between you and God. There's a sense of, I'm no good. I'm, I'm never good enough for God. And you're working so hard to make up for that gap, that wrong that you did, that foolish act, that, that misbehavior. And even for some of you, you are serving at church. You're doing good deeds. You're, you're leading ministries. You're helping the poor. But what motivates you? What drives you that good deeds? It's not really gratitude, but it's sense of guilt. You're not serving out of the, of the abundance of God's grace, but out of unresolved guilt to, to make up for the wrong you did. It's like paying penance. There are two dangers when it comes to repentance. Under-repentance and over-repentance. Under-repentance is when you never really repented genuinely. You just say, I'm sorry. You move on. Your life doesn't change. Your attitude doesn't change. Your behavior doesn't change. Your words don't change. There is no actual change. Repentance is turning, changing the direction. Under-repentance is lip service without a deep change. You still live in self-indulgence and self-pity. That's under-repentance. If my child or children does something wrong, and if he has no or she has no sense of wrong, I need to tell him that it's wrong that he needs to repent, he needs to think differently, act differently, say things differently, have a different attitude because he is sinning, he's doing wrong and that's under repentance that I need to call him out for. It's another, however, thing for my son to always say sorry all the time because of that one thing he did wrong so foolishly, whatever that could have been. He's constantly saying sorry. He has this 
gap, that distance from me. No intimacy with me. Now that will grieve my heart. Now that's the problem of over-repentance that does not allow you to enjoy intimate relationship through complete forgiveness. Over-repentance is when you have repented genuinely. You had a godly sorrow. You did feel guilty. You changed the direction of your life. But there is no joy. There is no intimacy with God. There's still this sense of a lingering guilt and shame and you feel you're not good enough for God. You're not really fully loved by God. There is no freedom. There is no sense of boldness and confidence when you approach the throne of God. And that's the case of Joseph's brothers. They were struggling with over-repentance. Again, their sins were forgiven by Joseph. But they're not able to enjoy intimacy with Joseph. They, they fall on their knees and they bow down and say, oh, we, we will be slaves for, for life. You're talking about 80-year-old men, brothers. They're old and they are willing to enslave themselves out of sense of guilt, not just out of sense of gratitude. Godly sorrow, yes, but beating yourself down to the point of depreciating your value, not just your value, but the value of the forgiveness of God and Joseph, his brother? No. If you have a tendency to over-repent, today I pray for the break of chain of guilt and shame in the name of Jesus. By the power of the gospel, I pray for the release of the freedom of guilt in the name of Jesus, by the blood of Jesus Christ. You need to preach the gospel to yourself this morning and every day. Romans 8.1, let me say this for you. Therefore, there is now no condemnation, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Jesus died for you. If you have repented and given your life to Jesus, there is no condemnation for you. Jesus paid it all for you. You don't need to pay for your sin. You cannot add to the finished work of Jesus. Jesus did not do just a lot for you. Jesus did it all. So we sing, Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. Oh, praise the one who paid my debt and rises life far from the dead. Oh, praise the one who paid my debt and rises life up from the dead. You should be singing with me this morning. Jesus paid it all. There's a complete freedom. I can run to the Father. 
You see the, the prodigal son who comes back to with heart of repentance. He, he talks to himself, I'm not worthy to be called a son. I'll be just a slave to my father. You know what? He, he practices what he's going to say to his father when he faces, when he sees his father's face. The father runs to the son, hugs him, and does not even give the prodigal son who returns to the father, does not even give the son an opportunity to say, I'll be a slave. He, he clothes his prodigal son who returns to him with a robe, a royal robe, puts in a ring, and, and holds a feast for the son who returned. That is the heart of the father. You know what? In, in our over-repenting, we are actually undervaluing the cross of Christ. Did you... Do you know that? In our over-repenting, you are undervaluing the cross of Christ. It's almost sinful. It grieves the heart of the Father. Once you have genuinely repented, move from repentance to rejoicing, to intimacy, to praise, to boasting in the cross of Jesus Christ. Yes, as sinners, yes, we are justified, but we are sinners and because of our sin, we, whenever we think about the, the cross, we come with brokenness, with a contrite heart. But along with brokenness, we have boldness. It, it, it's the, uh, the paradox of Christian faith, Christian identity, Christian character, Christian heart. We have both humility and confidence, but not cowardice. We have the brokenness and boldness. We're broken because Jesus had to die for our sins. But we are confident, we are bold as a lion because the perfect righteousness of Christ has been clothed to us. It's been given to us. So when I stand before the holy God, I stand as one who is in Christ. We sang about it this morning. Our sins are completely covered by blood of Jesus. Let the gospel move you this morning from cowardice to confidence. God has given us not a spirit of cowardice. Don't be a wimp, spiritually speaking. Not a spirit of cowardice, but a spirit of power, love, and self-control, a self-discipline. Have confidence, not in yourself, but in Jesus. So the first question you ought to ask, have I really been transformed deeply and authentically? Is this, have I experienced the complete forgiveness of God in Christ? You must begin there. If you have not experienced it, I pray, I pray, and I've been praying for you as I've been preparing for this message, that spirit will break through into your heart this morning and release you, that God will release his power of forgiveness in Jesus Christ in your life. Now, the second mark is related to the first mark. It also has to do with forgiveness, but it's the other side of the same coin. It's forgiving. As we forgive, as we experience forgiveness of God, are we extending the same forgiveness to others? 
Do you extend forgiveness to those who have wronged you? That's the second test of authentic and deep transformation. If you are able to forgive, if you have the heart of forgiveness, that's, that's a deep change. Verse 17, it says, Joseph wept when they spoke to him. His heart was broken. Now, that, that's a mark of authenticity. It's, it's incredible to see Joseph's response. How could he do that? How could he really forgive? No payback. No revenge. The brothers almost killed him. The brothers sold him to a slavery. The brothers had him go through a 13 long years of darkness. He went through maybe depression, a sense of being cursed, that I'm done. It was dark, dark 13 years because of their evil. Easily he could have done tit for tat, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. He could have harbored grudge and grievance. And now that Jacob is gone, his father's gone, now finally is a time for him to pay back. But no, not only does he not just not do the payback, you look at verse 21, this is what he says, do not fear, I will provide for you and your little ones, literally the vulnerable ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Literally in Hebrew means spoke heart to heart, authentically, out of his heart. Wow, that's amazing. That's amazing. And we wonder, how did he do that? How could a man who could have easily harbored grievances and grudge be a blessing, be so generous, so compassionate? We are shocked as a nation to hear about a mass shooting last weekend in Nova Scotia. A man killed 22 people brutally. That's pure evil. And the question many are asking is, why did he do that? I read on a paper this weekend that he was probably a grievance collector. That's what some of his friends and neighbors, um, out of the data that they've given, FBI, one FBI agent said, he's a grievance collector. Grievance collector. I didn't know that there was a term like that. We learn new things every day. Basically, he would remember and collect all the grievances in his heart and let the grievance accumulate, fester in his heart, and one day it all came out on a rampage, killing 22 people. We may not go around on a rampage to kill 22 people, but you and I can fall into to be, to become, to live as grievance collector. Unless you deal with your grievance. And we do experience grievance from a bad neighbor to an annoying family member, a church member, to unfair treatment by our work colleagues or boss to 
you name it, that is the experience of life. We will never be able to avoid someone doing wrong to us. And the question is, what are you going to do about that? If we collect our grievances, one day it will come out, most likely at a wrong time, at a wrong place, to a wrong people. And poor, our poor family members, most, most of the time it, we lash it on our spouses, our children, and sometimes the most vulnerable one, the powerless ones. When it comes to forgiveness, we know that it's not easy. Easy to say, forgive, just forgive, just forgive. You don't know what you're talking about. Every forgiveness is costly. It was the most costly thing for God to do by sending his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to pay for our sins, to forgive us of our sins, to pour his wrath of our sins because of our sins. Jesus died. Forgiveness is costly. It is hard. I recently talked to a friend who shared his experience of a, a recent process he went through of forgiving somebody who not only hurt him, but hurt his family so deeply. It had a devastating effect on his family to the point of losing his family member. Talk about that. How do you forgive someone who killed your family member? He said, it, he's a man of God, but he said it was so hard. It was the most difficult season of my friend's life. And some of you this morning watching this, I don't know your situation. You may have broken into such a broken family like Joseph's family. And you've been harboring grudge against your father or your mother or your spouse or your sibling or your best friend. And I'm not saying it's easy. It's a process. But my friend did say the only reason he was able to forgive that person was because of Jesus. Sorry. And because I know my friend, what he went through, I know how, how, how hard it is. He was basically... He was basically referring to Ephesians 4.32. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Because God in Christ forgave me, I will extend that forgiveness. It, what amazes me is Joseph lived out this verse. Forgiveness that is anchored in the gospel, fueled by the forgiveness that we receive in Jesus Christ. He lived out the gospel implication, gospel application of forgiveness before Jesus. That's what amazes me. How could Joseph do that? We'll come to that. That's my third point. Now, for those of us 
who have experienced the complete forgiveness of God by the blood of Jesus, how much more so for us to extend that forgiveness by the power of the gospel to those who have grieved us, who have hurt us. He was, Joseph was living out the Lord's prayer before he ever got discipled by Jesus or the disciples of Jesus. Forgive us our debts as we forgive those who are indebted to us. He was not praying, he was applying that prayer already. My goodness. And so how much more as followers of Jesus, who are disciples of Jesus, who have experienced the forgiveness of God in Jesus, who pray the Lord's prayer, forgive our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. How much more are we to extend the forgiveness to those who have wronged us? So the second question, second mark is forgiving. Do you extend forgiveness to those who have wronged you? Again, it's for you to examine yourself this morning. The third point is humility. Well, the third mark. When it comes to forgiveness, we see that it came out of a heart, out of heart that is so deeply transformed in his in his mindset, in his perspective of life, who God is and who he is and what life is all about. And that, that's the third mark, humility. And the question is, do you completely acknowledge the godness of God and your place as his servant? Verse 19 and 20 says this. Joseph says to them, this is, this is a, um, a passage that goes with Romans 8, 28 and 29. Do not fear my brothers, for I, no, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. Again, Joseph lived before coming of Jesus, never experienced the kind of love and forgiveness we have experienced in Jesus Christ. How was he able to think like he did and feel like he did and love like he did and do like he did? He looked so much like Jesus. He's full of love and compassion, full of righteousness and justice, full of wisdom and courage. And the answer is humility. Humility in the sense of knowing that I'm not God. I'm human. He acknowledged his humanness, his weakness, his total dependence on God. What is good? What is evil? I'm not going to determine it. I'm going to I'm going to depend on God's determination, God's judgment of good and evil. He was totally and completely dependent on God for life and death and everything in life, everything. And he knew that 
his life and our lives, this earth, everything, is not about him. It's not about him. It's about God and his glory and his good purpose. In other words, again, he knew who God is and who he was, and that understanding of God-centered perspective of life and humility changed everything for him. So when he says, am I in the place of God? He's basically saying, I am not God. I cannot be God, and I refuse to play God. I cannot punish you as God can. That right of punishing you, that belongs to God. I am subject to God's authority. I'm under God's authority. It's not my place to even consider forgiving you or not forgiving you. That place belongs to God. It's not my place to judge you. Well, Joseph is basically undoing the original sin, eating from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. You see, for you and I to determine what is really good and what is really bad or evil, we need to know comprehensively, to judge fairly. Some things may look good, but it ends up being not so good. And that's the limitation of human mind, human capacity. Only God who sees everything beforehand and afterhand, everything, the providence of God, the foreknowledge of God, knowing everything and completely and comprehensively, he is the only one who can determine what is good and what is bad. You see, from a human perspective, Joseph's life sucked. But think about it. 13 long years of going through a dark tunnel that seemed like there is no, there is no, there is no light at the end of the tunnel. Kind of darkness. Pitch darkness. That was bad. Life sucked. Some of you may feel like that this morning. My life sucks. Self-isolation sucks. But you know what? Joseph learned from being discipled in that pitch darkness. I'm a human being. I'm not in control, but I know God is. I'm not going to determine whether what I'm going through is good or bad. I'm going to allow God to determine that. I'm going to acknowledge his lordship. You see, that's what it means to be human. In relationship with God, we completely let go of our right to determine what is good and what is bad. Again, that's, that goes completely against our nature, fallen nature. It's so hard because the fallen nature at the core is self-centeredness. You determine what is good and what is bad, not God, not God's word. So you need a miracle. You need to be born again to see, to have that heart. But by God's grace, Joseph, who had the Holy Spirit, even in the Old Testament, he was a man of the Spirit, was able to see that humbly. And Joseph, as a human being, under the authority of God, acknowledging the godness of God, was beautiful, was glorious. You know, image bearers, human beings are glorious. 
You know, we are forgiven, we are justified, we are sanctified, and we will be glorified. Have you met a saint? Like a, I mean, it, fundamentally, all Christians are saints. That's how we are defined. Saints, holy ones set apart for God in Christ, sanctified by the blood of Christ and by the Holy Spirit. But I'm talking about ones who have been deeply transformed, changed, and exudes the glorious character of God, a man of compassion, a woman of compassion, grace, wisdom, courage. And you will walk away meeting that person. Wow. He's like a sage. Oh, man of wisdom. I want to I I see him again. I want to hang out with him. I want to hang out with her. So gracious, so tender, and yet so sturdy and so firm and so strong. You, you see, human beings in God's image are glorious, and Joseph reflects that, and the ultimate glory, of course, is Jesus. He was God-man. He was fully God, but fully man. To be a Christian means to be fully human. It means to believe and trust and obey God. I don't see Christianity as a religion. Fundamentally, it's what it means to be human under the lordship of Jesus, God, following Jesus. You don't lead your life. You follow God. You trust God and his word. Acknowledging Godness of God and God controls everything does not, however, mean that we're not responsible for the evil. You see in verse 20, Joseph does say, as for you, you meant evil against me. Joseph calls evil, evil. What the brothers did was bad. It was wrong. It was evil. They were responsible for their actions. They had to repent. We too have to repent when we do wrong. God's sovereignty over human affairs does not deny people's, you and I, our full moral responsibility. We need to affirm both truth, God's sovereignty, that God is in control of everything, and he determines good and evil. And the other truth is we are responsible for our actions and choices. Now, having, having calling evil evil, Joseph brings everything again back to God. He says, you meant it for evil against me, but God meant it for good. Man, that's, that's amazing. Not just the godness of God, but the goodness of God. He not only had the big God theology, but Joseph had good God theology. And that perspective, that theology changed everything. His vision of God was big. The God controls everything. But not only God controls everything, God is good. He meant it for good. He does good. He brings good. God is not only bigger than our pain and suffering and evil. He enters into our mess. He enters into our pain and the problem of sin in the person of Jesus and brings about good out of evil. Our sin put Jesus on the cross but it is also through the cross God's goodness shines forth more than anything to see that it takes faith faith in God who is good 
and perfect and holy. That understanding of God's goodness and God's goneness, that perspective empowered Joseph to forgive. The God-centered life changed everything for him, including his experience of evil, wrong, pain, and sin. And the question this morning for you is, do you have that God-centered perspective of everything that you are experiencing in this life, including COVID-19, financial challenges that you may be going through, or the health challenges, whether it's yourself or your family member? And you may be asking, where is God in all this? Again, I don't want to discount the pain. The pain is real. And uh, as followers of Jesus, we grieve with those who grieve. And we must grieve, yes. I'm talking about a perspective, faith, a fundamental heart. How do you interpret your pain and your suffering? Do you see your experience from man's perspective or from God's perspective? Do you humbly submit to God and trust him? That's what it means to trust him. Trust him when things do not completely make sense, but you trust in the godness of God and the goodness of God. Again, Joseph may have gone through a season of doubts and questions and asked a lot of why questions and where is God questions and how long. Uh, we see all that in the book of Psalms and that's how we pray. We pour out our heart, but somewhere along the way, in his brokenness, Joseph encounters God. And he's humble. He, he confesses like Job, I'm imagining. I know that you can do all things. That your, no purpose of yours can be thwarted or frustrated. You bring to fruition what you have planned. And I'm going to trust that your plan is good. It doesn't look good right now. People are sick, I'm sick, and financially we have difficulties, and the self-isolation is driving me crazy. But you know what, Lord? I'm going to trust you. Because I'm not God. I don't understand everything. I don't see things comprehensively, but you do. And I don't know, this life is not about me. It's about you. It's about you and your glory. It's about your plan that will be fulfilled, which is much, much bigger than my life. Joseph talks about how God brought good or did meant good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive. It's, it's not about you. It's about God. And it's about others. Oh, may, the, may we, you and I have that kind of a spiritual awakening this season. That's going to change us. That's going to transform us inside out. Deeply, deeply. And I, I pray that you will remember that God not only knows your pain, he actually went through the greatest pain and evil that providentially brought about the greatest salvation and transformation that we could ever imagine in our wildest imagination. That Jesus, in his gruesome death, reveals the goodness of God. 
So the third mark is humility. And the question is, do you completely acknowledge the godness of God and the goodness of God and your place as a humble servant for God's greater purpose? So that's, those are the three marks. For those of you who want to Pro further, I mean, there's so much jewel in this passage that I can, I would love to share more. So join me at 11 at, uh, at Zoom. But three marks, let's be reminded. Three marks of a genuine and deep transformation. Forgiven, forgiving, and humility. Have I experienced complete forgiveness from God? And do I extend forgiveness to those who have wronged me? And do I completely acknowledge God as my God, who is good, and I'm just his servant. And because we know that the transformation does not happen unless God works so deep in our hearts, miraculously and supernaturally, we cannot manufacture it or produce it by going through some kind of a program. It's something ultimately God has to do. And so let's pray. One prayer topic that I invite you to pray at this time before we sing the uh, response song is, let's pray for the Holy Spirit's ministry that he will work in our personal lives as well as our families and church, that we will experience this deep transformation to become more and more like Jesus, to become a glorious human being who reflects the glory of God. Let's pray that.